0: Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, as we go into our study tonight, we need to keep something in mind, and it's going to be, need to be reminded of this all the way throughout our study. God is the one who instituted authority in this world. That's what this passage says here again in chapter 13, verses 1 and following. Look at listen again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority of any kind except from God, and those that exist have been, in, been instituted by who? God. So when you resist authority... Of any kind, you're resisting who? God, who designed authority. Now, our rebellion against authority can be traced all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were created and brought, put into that beautiful garden. And God says, you can eat from all the trees except one. And he commanded them not to eat from that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan comes on the scene and he said, hey, first off, did God really say And then secondly, he said, and God knows the day you eat of this tree that he told you not not to eat of it. You get to be like God. You get to decide right and wrong, good and evil. You get to be in charge. And Adam and Eve rebelled against God's authority because they wanted to be the final authority. And folks, that has passed on to all of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us have this problem in our flesh. We want to be in charge. We want to have how everything works the way we want it. We grow up that way. We're born that way. Have you ever noticed that a baby, when he comes into this world, never says, hey, whenever you're ready, whenever you think about it, you know, I would like to eat. (laughs) You're in charge, not me. Have you ever noticed that we come into this world wanting to be the one who determines when things happen? You ever tried to give your kid a nap? How do you think they responded to your authority? They didn't. We have this problem in all of us. And folks, let me say this to you. And it's manifesting itself in our churches too much in these last days. We still want to be in charge. I myself wrestle with this. That's why daily I have to lay my flesh on the altar. I know God's going to take care of me. He's promised that he would. But I've come to realize I want him to take care of me the way I want him to take care of me. Not the way that he would choose to take care of me. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at the fact that we not only have this problem still in our flesh, this rebellion against authority. We also live in a world in which the world today is saying you get to be your own God. You get to call the shots. You get to pick your own sex. You can pick your own whatever. You can choose however you want to live your life. All of this that's going on in our world today is actually just a rebellion against God and his authority. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17. Listen to the kind of world we live in and the problem that we live in today. 1 John chapter 2 starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that's our wanting to be in charge. And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we have to be willing to acknowledge this. I not only still have this problem of wanting to be God in my flesh, I also live in a world that is promoting that idea and that mindset. In every way you can imagine. You don't even realize how much your commercials that you've grown up under have been feeding that to you all these years. Burger King has taught you to have it your own way. You know, you deserve a break today. I could go on and on. Feed your thirst. Folks, we live in a world in which the world is saying live for self. That's why the Bible, as we've already seen in Romans 12, 1 and 2, said we're to offer our bodies daily as a living sacrifice and not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And then we'll know what God's will is, and we still have to decide whether or not we're going to submit to that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to show you a passage of scripture that I don't think many of you have cross-stitched on your wall 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 15. The reason this isn't on our wall is we don't like it. Paul says in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you gave your life to him, not just so he could take you to heaven, but so that he gets to be your Lord and he gets to determine where how your life goes. Oh, by the way, that's not the kind of preaching we hear a lot in America, is it? You can be whatever you want to be. You can dream whatever you want to dream. You can accomplish great things. Just whatever you, can, uh, you conceive you can achieve. Listen, the Bible actually said that's the attitude that Satan had. He was given a role. He was created as a lead worshiper in heaven. He was a guardian cherub. And he wasn't satisfied with the role God had for him. He wanted more. Jesus, on the other hand, humbled himself even though he was God. He took the role of a servant even though that role meant death on a cross. And he submitted himself to the Father's plan while Jesus was on the earth he only did what the father had him do by the father's authority and power and he humbled himself to the role the father had for him but we've been taught you get to do what you want to do and the bible actually says no i know paul you we've already seen it in our study of romans i know you want to go preach to the jews but that's not the plan i have for you i have a plan for you to preach to the gentiles oh and by the way in that plan for you to preach to the gentiles I'll show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. I could go on and on and show you over and over that those who desire to live a godly life. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How many of us are still willing to sign up and submit ourselves to whatever God has? We want to be in charge. We don't want to hear preaching that says God gets to call the shots. Now, all authority in this life points ultimately to who? God. To God. When we were, those of us who were older, when we were young, it was a lot easier in our world that we lived in, especially in America back in those days. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, if I got in trouble at school, I was in trouble at home. The teacher was the authority. And if I rebelled against the teacher's authority, I got in trouble at home. By the way, any of you old enough to remember me getting paddled while you were at school? They had paddling while I was in school. You had it, but I got it. And uh, if I got paddled at school, I was going to be paddled at home because it was taught that the teacher was the authority. Your parents were your authority. The teachers were your authority. The policeman was your authority. We live in a world now that says, defund the police. We don't want authority. Well, the police are corrupt in some places. But again, all authority has been instituted by God and ultimately points to God. If you go back, we don't have time to go there because we've got a lot to cover tonight. But in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and through 6, in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, what does God say? You shall have no other gods but me. I'm the only one that should be in charge in your life, I'm the only God. But he also, in the Ten Commandments, go ahead and turn there in Exodus 20, he said something, and then he showed that there wasn't all, only authority to God, there was going to be authority in our homes. There's authority in our families. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 12. We've already just seen in Romans 13 that we're to give honor to those who, to whom honor is due. In Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that the day, your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. We'll jump over to Ephesians chapter 6. It clarifies this a little bit more for us in the New Testament here. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Look at what the Scripture says here in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment that comes with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. All right, look closely here. The Scripture clearly says that we're, children are to honor their parents, they're to obey their parents. Oh, by the way, if you were to go look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and other places that talk about this, the Bible says there's going to be godlessness in the last days. And it lists all the different types of godlessness. And in that list of all this godlessness is disobedient to their parents. God designed authority in the home. The parents are supposed to be the leaders in the home. Again, they're not to be jerks about it, as the scripture says. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But also, do you all realize that God also designed that there's authority in the home, not just as parents over the children, but husbands over their wives? I told you, some of you are going to feel like I was okay with that. Now you went over here where I didn't want you to go. But go to 1 Corinthians 11. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're not going to have time tonight to break down each of these different aspects of authority that God has designed in the detail I'd like to But I want to remind you that whenever we see this word submission and submitting to authority, I want you to understand something real quick. Biblically, the Greek word when it says submit is the Greek word hypotasso, and it means a voluntary submission due to respect for God's design. In other words, no husband can say to their wives, the Bible says you must submit, and try to force submission. That's not what the word means in the Bible. It must be a willing. Voluntary submission on the part of the wife to the husband or as the the husband to to Jesus and all of us to the elders and to the authorities that God has designed. It's a voluntary submission. It should never be forced. If it's a forced submission, a commanded submission in the fact that you're trying to make it happen instead of letting that person choose to submit, that's an unbiblical way. But look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Paul says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul clarifies this a little bit more again in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I'm only just laying this out to share with you that the Bible says that God has instituted authority all throughout our world. Not just the governing authorities, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but also that that there's authority in our homes, in our families, parents over the children, husbands and wives. Husbands are to be submitting to Jesus. But there's also authority in the church. A lot of our churches today don't like this topic. They want everybody to have an equal vote. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I think the Bible teaches if we were to do a study, again, I'm not breaking each of these down. We don't have time to do it. But the Bible teaches that in a healthy church, there should be input and everybody should be able to give input. But the ultimate decisions are to be made by the spiritual authorities in the church. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are what? Over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I was preaching on this passage in a church in New Orleans many, many years ago. And I was talking about how God designed elders and the leaders in the church to be spiritual men who are an authority to spiritually direct and guide the church. And that was God's design. And after this message, I was in the back of the church talking to people in the foyer area. And this man walks up to me and he said, respect is earned. I said, you need to sit down right now. He goes, why? I go, because I got to preach my sermon all over again. You didn't hear it. I said, did the passage say that you're to give respect to those who have earned your respect or you to give your respect to those who God had given that position? Again, hold them in high regard because of their work, because of the position that God's given them. I'm respecting the role that God has given you. And I'm respecting you because of the role that God has given you. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Paul, uh, not Paul, but the Hebrew writer here says, obey your leaders in the church. They've got a responsibility to look over your souls and watch over your souls. And actually, it'll be better for you if you do Obey them and submit to them. Jim, but what about if they're bad? Again, didn't I tell you at the beginning? Hold on. We'll deal with all that in time, but we have such a desire to quickly want to get to. Yeah, but when can we rebel? That we don't let the truth. And I'm going to show you this in Scripture in ways that you might not have ever seen tonight. We don't let the truth of the fact that God's word over and over says that we are to submit ourselves to the authorities because God has designed authority. And when we rebel against authority, we're rebelling against God. Go to first Peter, chapter five. Look at verses one through five. First Peter, chapter five, verses one through five. Peter says, So I exhort the elders, and this doesn't mean the old people, these are the spiritual leaders in the church. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd, that's the word pastor, by the way, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with all humility and toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, God has designed authority in many different areas of our lives. There's a Lord authority in our families, there's authority in our churches. And there's authority in our cities, counties, states, and national governments. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 13 through 17, and listen to what the scripture says. And as I'm about to read this to you, keep in mind who was in charge right now. And if you don't know, it was Rome. And there were some pretty bad leaders, correct, in Rome? Pretty wicked men who would take Christians and tie them to poles and cover them with pitch and light them on fire. Feed them to the lions. Listen to what God had Peter write at this time. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and following. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Honor the emperor. Was the emperor at this time an honorable person, an individual that in his lifestyle was worthy of honor? No, but we were to honor him because that's the role that God gave him. And I honor the emperor because of the fact that God gave him that position. And I'm honoring God by honoring him. I'm going to chase something that I just I'm going to say it quickly. It's grieved me over the last year or two to see Christians with bumper stickers on their cars that say, Let's go, Brandon. If you know what that really is saying, you should not have that on your car, because you, even though you may not agree with the politics of our president, you should not be having a bumper sticker that says what that bumper sticker is really saying as a Christian. We're to honor those who are in authority over us and be praying for them. That doesn't mean we have to agree with their decisions, and we'll get to that in a second. But stick with me. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul tells Titus to remind the people in his church to be submissive to rulers and authorities To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of who? No one. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Then he goes on and says, because we too were once foolish. We should keep in mind that even those who are in authority over us, even though they're not doing as what God wants them to, even though they're actually maybe taking our country in the wrong direction and doing all these things, as Christians, we should not be sitting around talking badly about them, but praying for them. But unfortunately, how many of us get caught up in all these little political discussions? You want to have your day really ruined? Go to McDonald's or Burger King early in the morning and just sit near a group of older people who are sitting there having their coffee and just listen. It's pretty sad. Go back to Romans chapter 13. Look again at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted By God. Now, before we go down this road now, but what if the leadership and the government is evil? What if our authority is bad? We'll deal with that. Before we go there, though, let the fact that I didn't give you all the passages, but I gave you a lot tonight that let you make it very clear. God wants us to submit ourselves to them. Should we not? That's pretty clear. And when we rebel against it and resist against it, we're resisting something God has designed and we're resisting God. But Jim, what if the government authority or authority over us is evil? I'm going to give you two answers to this biblically, but I want you to listen closely. Sometimes, and actually most of the time, God may have you submit anyway, even though they're evil, to show your respect for God's design of authority and to show your trust in his ultimate authority in your situation. Let me say that to you again. Many times, God may have you submit anyway to the bad authority to show your respect for God's design of authority and to show your trust in his ultimate authority in your situation. Go back to 1 Peter and look at the verse that picks up where we left off. We left off in 1 Peter 2.17. We're going to pick up in verse 18. Remember, he has just said, honor the emperor. But do you know what the emperor is like? God knows. Listen to what verses 18 through 25 say. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle ones, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And for to this you have been called. Did you catch that? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Let me give you an example of what Peter's referring to. Go to John 19. Go to John chapter 19. Look at verses 10 and 11. You'll see exactly what Peter's referring to here. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Jesus has gone through an illegal trial. According to the law, they could not hold the trial in the middle of the night, which they did. He's now been jerked around, taken to Herod and taken to Pilate, uh, sorry, and taken to, to uh, um, another leader and then back and forth. And now he's back to Pilate. Pilate first, then Herod, then back to Pilate. And Pilate knows he's innocent. And Jesus is just standing there, not saying anything. And look at what happens in verses 10 and 11 in John 19. Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. In other words, as Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said, I have authority over you right now. I could have you released and I could have you put to death. I'm in charge of your life. Jesus says, actually, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless my father had given it. So I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at him. And even though he was threatened, he did not revile, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Folks, sometimes some of us have grown up with parents who weren't the best authorities. And we were to submit to them because of the role that God had given. Sometimes wives are in a relationship where the husband is not a good husband and definitely not someone that's easy to submit to. But there are many times that the Spirit of God may say to you, for the design that I have made and for the purposes that I'm trying to accomplish, I want you to humble yourself and submit yourself because of the fact that I've designed this type of authority. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a story of Naaman getting healed of his leprosy. But we're going to just look at the setup to this story. 2 Kings chapter 5. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, Naaman... Commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. This is an enemy of Israel. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord would die of his leprosy. Is that what she says? No, she said, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Here's a young girl that had been taken captive by an enemy nation and caused to work as a slave to this wife of this very powerful man. And he had leprosy and she wasn't sitting there at home thinking, good, I hope he dies. But she had such a faith in God's authority, in God's sovereignty, that she actually, in that situation, submitted herself to the authorities that were over her, even though they had taken her captive and made her a slave. And she wanted those who were in authority over her to know God. And she humbled herself. Would you be willing to do that? I'm not going to take the time to have you turn there, but if you want to go double check me, write down Acts 23 verses 1 through 5. Acts 23, 1 through 5, Paul has been arrested by the Romans and the Jews are trying to have him put to death. And the Romans are trying to find out why the Jews want him killed. And so the Jews are all standing around and Paul's there and the Romans are there. And Paul says, I have lived according to the law of God my whole life. And the high priest Ananias turned to one of the people and said, smack him in the mouth. And so they did. And Paul lashed out at the high priest and said, You whitewashed wall, how dare you judge me by the law and then break the law by having me struck? And they all, the people there were like, You're going to talk like that to the high priest? And Paul humbled himself and said, My bad. I didn't know he was the high priest. If I had known he was the high priest, I wouldn't have talked like that to him. Because the law said, You respect those who are in authority over you. Paul badmouthed the high priest. But when he found out he was the high priest, Paul said, I shouldn't have done that. Now, was the high priest a good guy? No. Was he doing the right thing? No. But Paul submitted himself and humbled himself because of the design that God had made. Go to Daniel chapter four. By the way, how did Daniel end up in Babylon? He was taken captive, along with many young men of his age. We know three of them in their uh, Babylonian names: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But go to Daniel chapter 4. Look at verses 19 through 27. Nebuchadnezzar has been given this dream and Daniel is going to interpret it for him. But listen to the attitude and the heart of Daniel toward King Nebuchadnezzar who is over him and has taken him captive. And Daniel uh, 4, verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. I don't wish this, what you just saw is going to happen to you. I don't wish it on you. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of of its roots in the earth, bound with that band of iron and bronze and in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O King. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you Know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, listen, and gives it to whom He will. That's going to be important later on in our study. As it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So when Daniel is given this vision that this, of this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he knows this is not gonna be good for you, as he was sharing the interpretation He wasn't laughing and thinking, hey, I've been praying for this day when you'd get yours. Do you know why a lot of us like to talk bad about those in authority in the government? And we like to have things on our trucks and stuff like that. It puffs us up because we get to talk bad about someone in authority and we're trying to make ourselves bigger and better. But Daniel, who was not willing, as you're going to see, was very willing to disobey when the commands went against the law of God. Early on, when he was not wanting to eat the king's food, he was willing to make a request. Hey, let us follow our God and not do this. And you're going to see some more in just a second. But in this instance, he humbled himself before that king and said, I wish what you just saw in your dream is going to happen to your enemies. And actually... I'm going to pray that you actually have a change of heart and maybe this doesn't happen to you. Let me ask you, are you praying for those in authority over us in that way? Or are you just sitting around bad and how bad they are and how evil they are and how stupid they are? Are you hoping that their dementia kicks in? I know I'm going from preaching to meddling here, but let me just tell you. Christians should be praying for those and honoring those in authority over us because that it is what God has designed. But there are times that we are to rebel. And I'm going to show you some of those examples, but I want to say this to you ahead of time. This is where wisdom comes in, because whenever we do a study or anybody does a study along this line, everybody wants to jump to when can we rebel? And we don't take enough time to let the truth of most of the time we're not to sink in. But you need wisdom. You need the Holy Spirit to show you when to speak and when not to speak. When to speak up and defend yourself, when to take it. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was in a Roman colony of Philippi and he cast demons out of these girls and they quickly grabbed him. He and Silas and beat them and they threw him in the inner cell in stocks. In chapter 22, that was Acts 16, in chapter 22, Paul's about to be beaten again by the Romans. And he pulls his Roman citizen card out and he says, hang on, are you guys able and legally allowed to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? The law actually said that if you're a Roman citizen, they couldn't even put you in chains until you've been found guilty. You couldn't be beaten until you've been found guilty. And he goes, you're about to beat me. And I'm a Roman citizen. When they found out he was a Roman citizen, they quickly let him go, and they were kind of freaked out because the law said if you did that to a Roman citizen, you had to be beaten. Well, how come Paul didn't pull his Roman citizen card out in Acts 16? I mean, he was in a Roman call of Philippi. Some people say, well, maybe Paul didn't know about that law in chapter 16, and someone between chapter 16 and 22 said, hey, Paul, there's this law. No, read your Bibles. At the end of Paul and Silas, remember, being in the inner cell, they're singing praises to God at midnight, and God breaks the jail cells apart, and the jailer and his family get saved. The magistrates send some people to go release them, and they said, no, 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 you tell the magistrates to come publicly release us. They publicly beat us, two Roman citizens, without a trial. You tell them to publicly release us. And when the magistrates realized that they had done this to Roman citizens, they quickly came and said, please leave the city. Did they know about the law? Yes, they did. But in that instance, the Holy Spirit said, take the beating. But later on, the Holy Spirit said, in this instance, use your Roman citizen card. And you're going to have to know how to recognize when the Spirit of God in each situation. We want the formula. Jim, when is it legal? When is it not legal? That takes away the Holy Spirit. The same Paul, the Bible tells us, was in one city. They dragged him outside the city, stoned him, and they left him for dead. You know what he did when he felt good enough to get back up? Walked right back into the city. Yet in another instance, when he hears about a death threat, he actually sneaks in a basket out a window down out the wall in the middle of the night. There are times that God's going to tell us to stand up and fight. There's going to be times that he says, take it. And we need to learn how to listen to the Spirit before we just start looking for But when can I rebel? Most of the time, God's going to ask you to submit to the bad authorities, to show your respect for God's design of authority, and to show your trust in His ultimate authority in your situation. Other times, because the government authority is telling us to go against God's clear commands, we must rebel. Listen. In order to show our submission to God's ultimate authority. There, the government authority or the authority over you may be making, asking you to do things you don't like or you don't agree with. But most of the time it's not against the commands of God. You just don't like it. But when the government authority tells you to do something that you must do that is against the command of God, then you must be willing to say, I have an authority that's bigger than you. When it comes to this issue. Oh and by the way. That's not me or anybody else around here. That's him. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John and some of the other apostles have just healed this man. Or God has through them. In Acts 4 verse 1, as they were speaking to the people and the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high, high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they told them, You can't preach in Jesus' name anymore, they said, Sorry, we have to, because God has said to, and there's only one way for people to be saved. By the way, there may come a day, folks, when we're not allowed to say that anymore. I'm going to keep saying it because that is the truth and we've been commanded to preach the truth and the truth and love. There are times when we say we must listen to God rather than you, but many of us, most of the time, unfortunately, are running to that sooner than God wants us to and we're not showing our respect for his authority by submitting to the authorities around us we're just saying I don't like that decision. There's a difference between I don't like that decision And it goes against God's word. Do you understand the difference? And you're going to need to learn the difference. By the way, remember that guy Daniel who really cared for Nebuchadnezzar? Let's go back and take a look at Daniel chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 10. Daniel 6 verses 1 through 10. It pleased Darius, by the way, at this point now, uh, Daniel's under the authority of the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Before we go any further, listen. They tried to find a way in which he was rebelling against the kingdom and they couldn't find any. What's a satrap? It's like a governor. It's another word for governor. Yep. But so they went to find a way in which he was rebelling against the kingdom. They might have checked whether or not he was paying his taxes in full. They might have tried to find out if he was doing things that the government had said, and they couldn't find anywhere that he was rebelling against the kingdom. He was obeying the kingdom. Keep reading. Then these men, verse five, Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They knew that Daniel's submission to the kingdom was because of his submission to the ultimate authority. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement and to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, the king Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He had submitted to the kingdom. But when the kingdom said, you can't pray to anyone but the king, Daniel says, I'm sorry. Was he a jerk about it? Did he start blowing noises and tweeting out that he was going to rebel? No, he just quietly went about obeying God. Oh, and guess what? He ended up in the lion's den. But God even used that to bring himself glory. We don't have time again, but in Daniel 3, if you look at Daniel 3, 13 through 18, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're told that they're to bow down when the music plays to the golden altar of Nebuchadnezzar or a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, we won't do it, but you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. Even if that happens, we won't bow to anyone but God. Folks, there are times that God wants us to do this, but we need to let the spirit of God show us when and how. And we need to, first of all, be willing to submit ourselves to the governing authorities because that's God's design. If He then takes us further, we'll know and He'll show us. But don't run to rebellion against the governing authorities first, because it's your natural inclination, and most of our natural inclinations are wrong, because we got this problem in our flesh. But we're gonna do one more thing in the 10 minutes that we have left, and this is where I told you at the beginning that I need to show you something that God showed me from the Scriptures. And we have to just be willing to be submissive to the fact that if God chooses to do what I'm about to show you, he has every right to. Go back to Romans 13 and look at verses 2 through 6. There's something here that jumped off the page at me as I was doing my study. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed... And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. Listen, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Then he goes on, if you owe taxes and honor and all that, do it. But listen closely. Twice we see that the government is God's servant. And sometimes it's for our good. And sometimes it's to exercise God's wrath. And I want you to hear me. And I'm going to show it to you from Scripture. God even uses wicked kings who don't know him. As his servant to exercise his wrath on nations or peoples who rebel against God's authority. Go to Jeremiah, go to chapter 25. Listen closely to what's being said here, and I'm going to lay it all out for you here from the Scriptures. Jeremiah 25, verses 1 through 12. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king in Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years... From the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened, Israel." You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all His servants the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore thus says the Lord of Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my what? By the way, at this point, does Nebuchadnezzar know who God is and does he worship him? No, but God calls him his servant. And I'm going to get Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, and I'm going to bring them against this land and its inhabitants. And against all the surrounding nations, I'll devote them to destruction and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I'll banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the grinding, the millstones, the light of the lamp. This whole land shall be a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I'll punish the king of Babylon and that nation in the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Jump over to chapter 27. Look at verses 1 through 7. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, this is the last king of Israel before the captivity or during the captivity, the son of Josiah, king of Judah at this time. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Judah the king of Edom, the king of Moab, and the king of the sons of Ammon, to the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, and to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, This is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. There's that word again, my servant. Just like in Romans 13, 12, 13, twice it said, my servant, my servant. Governments are my servant. And I have given him also the beast of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. Go over to chapter 43 of Jeremiah. Look at verses 8 through 13. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Taphanes, This is Egypt now. Take in your hands large stones and hide them in the mortar and the pavement that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Taphanes, in the sight of the men of Judah. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. What's he called again? My servant. And I will set his throne above all these stones that I have hidden and I, he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to pestilence, the, to pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, and to the sword those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temple of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin. And he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of the Hi- Hiopolis, Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt. He shall. With fire Again, God says, listen, even here in Egypt, I'm going to have Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, come and bring judgment for all that's gone on. Folks, it's been said before, and I'll repeat it again. Years ago, this one preacher said this. He said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Solomon Gomorrah. We see it. It just happened even more in the days that we're in right now where the Senate has just approved more of the homosexuality marriages being legal. Look, we love the people that struggle with this sin, but at the same time, it's still sin. And I'll keep saying it even if I'm not allowed to say it anymore, but the Bible says it is sin. But the Bible also tells us that God at a certain point in Romans chapter one, verses 18 and following, his wrath is being revealed against ungodliness because they suppress the truth. And then he says at a certain point, he'll give people in a nation over and the evidence that he's given them over is homosexuality becomes rampant. Good luck watching a television commercial today that doesn't have a gay couple. Have you noticed that almost everybody has one now? Folks, we've been given over already. The wrath of God has already begun on our nation. Now, we should be praying, and we should be salt and light. We shouldn't be storming the Capitol and trying to fix things. We should be praying. We should be submitting to our authority. But we also need to humble ourselves and say, God, if you choose to bring a judgment on our nation by another nation that may not even know you, You have every right. He'll take care of us. If we're still here when that happens. Just like he took care of Jeremiah and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But at the same time. We have to be honest. The Bible also says that governing authorities that he set in power. He determines who's in power when in the world and how. And he gets to determine when a nation's time is up. And it happens a lot. For years, people have wrestled with and struggled with the fact that when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, his instructions were to the nation of Israel, kill everybody. Wipe them all out. And people have said, well, how could God do that? How could a loving God do that? Again, I say this to you. If you read your Bibles, you'd understand that just like God used Nebuchadnezzar to bring judgment on Israel because of their sinfulness, God used the nation of Israel as his instrument for judgment on those wicked nations. Back in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham has been promised a child, and it hasn't happened yet, and he says to God in frustration, it looks like Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir, and God says, no, a son from your own body is going to be your heir, and then God has him put these animals, cut them in pieces, and make this little gauntlet, if you will, and God put Abraham into kind of a, a, a semi-sleep, if you will, like we have before, before surgery. I call that the sleepy. I don't give a care shot, and it's a wonderful thing. I like surgeries just for that shot, and just, it's just wonderful, and and he put Adam, I mean, Abraham in that situation and the Bible says God walked between the pieces but listen to what God says and you can go back and double check me it's in it's in uh, Genesis chapter 15 verses 12 through 16 God tells Abraham know this for certain that your people are going to go into slavery for 400 years but they're going to come out with great wealth listen but the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached its full measure yet when the nation of Israel came out of slavery And he sent them into the land and said, wipe them all out. They were his instrument, his servant, to bring judgment of his wrath on those people at that time. But God had given them 400 years, at least that we know of, if not more. I don't know how much longer we have. You've heard me say this before. I love prophecy. I study prophecy intently. And I don't see the United States mentioned anywhere in the last days. And if we continue as a nation going the way we are, thumbing our nose at God, rebelling against his authority, doing whatever we want to do and telling everyone it's okay, there comes a point. Well, sometimes we see God takes his people out before the judgment comes, And I pray that happens. Sometimes he takes care of his people when the judgment comes. But I'm going to say this to you. God has every right to bring a judgment on this nation and it may be soon. We don't know. What are we to be doing? Submitting, watching and praying and submitting ourselves to his authority. So I say to you, I'd be less concerned about your government and more. Let's start in your homes. Are there any children listening to this recording? Obey your parents. Submit to the authority that God's designed in the husband-wife relationship. Oh, by the way, it doesn't leave the husbands out. Remember, husbands, your head is who? Jesus, and you've been commanded to submit to him. There's authority that God designed in our churches. And we need to submit to that, even if we don't agree with them, and even if we don't like their decisions. Submit to it, because that's a position God has given them, and he'll deal with them if they're not doing it right. Don't take it into your hands, and don't complain about them. Speak evil of no one. And pray for your leaders. Be people that actually, people are saying, how come you're not joining in on the gripe session? You can just look them in the eye and say, because God told me not to. God told me to pray for everyone, speak evil of no one, and to be thankful in all situations, and to rejoice. And so my eyes are on him. Are things bad? Yeah. I could go on and on, but I hope that tonight the Spirit of God is taking you a little bit deeper in your walk with him. And it's a message we don't like to hear, laying our flesh on the altar on a daily basis. Oh, but for those who do, there's great reward. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.